Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2 of Backport Stories with Chuck Stead. These are the stories of a family coming of age in the 1950s and early 60s in the working-class hamlet of Hilburn, New York, as seen through the eyes of the author when he was just a young boy. Here, life moves thoughtfully in sharp contrast to the chaotic vibe of the massive city just an hour away. Here, there is time to think, feel, connect, and remember what matters most. Oftentimes funny, sometimes heartbreaking. Each episode follows the rhythm and style of one of our greatest humorists and storytellers, Mr. Sam Clemens, better known as Mark Twain. Now, today we're going to have some fun because we have some very special guests. If you've had a chance to listen to season one, you may have already met them. Chuck's older sisters, Muffin and Joan, have decided to join our conversation over the next three weeks. Now, these two terrific ladies have been featured a number of times in season one throughout these backport stories, but I'd have to say that here we are some 60 years later and, well, they haven't changed a bit. And that's a good thing because they're even more fun in person. For example, well, I'll tell you what, just listen in as we set up for our first back porch story of the new season with Muffin and Joan. Uh, Joan, do you want to wear a headset because it would... I don't know, my, my hearing aids might squeak. I can give it a try. Yeah, it's right next to you. If you want... It's right next to you. If you don't want it, we can give it, it to Muffin. Be able to hear it a little bit better. Muffin doesn't have one? No, Muffin. You can have mine. I only Muffin. had three. I only had three. What the fuck? Is it going <laughs> to. Cut that out. <laughs> I'm hearing too much stuff. Well, yeah, it's loud. It's, it's, you want it? Is it too much for you? It's fine, but uh, Muffin might want it. <laughs> give Muffin you, yours. Give. give, give Go ahead, give it the muffin, and then you can switch back. You can take turns. Can take oh, turns. How would that be? That sounds good. If you want. You, you have to get your foot off of it. Oh, yep. Sorry about that. <laughs> See, he doesn't want me to have it. <laughs> it's really quite loud, isn't it? It is, but it I is. can turn it down if oh. it's too loud. So you can get it, is it the too, second story. Is it too loud? It's pretty loud. All right, hold on one second. See, what I'm doing is I, I for me to hear it keeps me focused on... The sound oh. I'm making, and how about that? A little bit better. No, I can't talk? hear anything. Still too oh, loud. Yeah. yeah, it's very. Loud. This better. I'm off now. My. Oh, you're just doing <laughs> hers. I can't hear my voice. I can hear. What do you mean you can't hear your voice? <laughs> you can't hear your voice in the. Well, it didn't sound like my voice. No, it's it's that's weird. your voice. Is yeah. that your voice? That's oh, probably. Oh okay. Lord, is that your voice? <laughs> I'm hearing it. <laughs> okay, Joe, I'm off. Okay, you're off. No, no, I'm off. You cut me somehow. that. Am I no, on? There, now I'm on again. Now okay. I hear Chucky is on. Yeah, yeah. You should be able to hear all of us. Okay. Yep. You want the earphones? No, I don't. They're care. not so bad now. Oh, they were fine. I mean, I don't really care if you want. Hello. Them. <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. You're the excited. Hello. I'm that other person. Yep. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Oh, you, boy. you can you can wear them in the second story so that you can get the same yeah. visceral I think experience. You should, I think you should try them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Joe. I'm going to be doing a lot of editing on this one. Here now is Chuck Stead. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. This one is called Riding Powder Down Fourth Street. The dining room in the first street house was the passageway to get most anywhere else in the house. A staircase dropped down into it from above, and below that a second staircase dropped down into the cellar. 
There was a solid milk glass type of ceiling light shade. It hung from a single chain over the dining room table. This was all inherited from the grandparents. The coat closet, an extension Walt built, was along the east wall. Getting to it meant walking around the table, something Tessie complained about all the time. And Walt used to tell her that she could keep her coat on the front porch if she liked. But the outstanding thing in the dining room was Walt's desk. This was a big old oak piece that had been part of Grandpa's injury settlement from the ironworks. Shipped to Hilburn from the American Desk and Seating Company in Chicago back in the 1870s. It was gifted to Grandpa and moved through his life, taking up numerous duties. First at the service station he opened in Ramapo, then for the Valley Painters Union his sons organized in the 1930s, and back again to a gas station for a spell, and finally Walt took it in. It was referred to in our house as the desk. Tessie found it cumbersome and intrusive. She complained about it taking up space in a room that was meant for dining, despite the fact that we took our meals in the kitchen. In fact, Grandma's old sewing machine table was also stuffed into this little room, and again, Tessie found that to be a burden. Apparently, anything that spoke of a past was a bother. Tessie dreamed of a house filled with only modern furniture and modern appliances and never needing cleaning. Shortly after moving into the first street house, Tessie leveled her sights on the desk. The family telephone, a heavy black facility, property of Western Electric, sat on the right-hand corner of the desk. This meant that any calling was done either from the desk chair or from the top of the desk, which the girls preferred, sitting cross-legged, or under the desk in a little crawl space. This last position was the favorite spot for a private call, especially if it was a boy calling. Walt himself wasn't much of a conversationalist on the phone. He seldom made calls, and when he received them, his end of the dialogue was mostly a series of yups or nopes. Tessie's calls were always to her Jersey sisters, which increased in length on the nights leading up to her weekly visit with them. So the telephone was very much in use at its station on the desk, such that whenever the subject of disposing of the desk rose, Walt countered by asking, well, where would the phone be kept? Oddly enough, this was an excellent foil, and the desk remained stubbornly in the dining room well into the late 60s. Now above the desk, there hung an old painting. It too was a relic from Ramapo a scene of some undisclosed location with a dirt road, an ox, a rider, a steeple in the distance. Occasionally this was replaced with a circular mirror, framed in gilt edge. It looked kind of to me like gold. The mirror was for checking one's appearance just before leaving the house. When it didn't hang over the desk, it hung to the right of the front door. This, of course, was a better position to serve its purpose. Over the desk, one could only get just so close to one's reflection. But during the warm months, it found itself covered by the front door when it was open. So with the warm season, it was moved to its summer home over the desk. And it was in this summer home that it hung when I first observed my head size. <sighs> I stood atop the desk and I stared into the mirror. It being summer, Tessie had had my head shaved down at the Eureka Barber Shop. It was a buzz cut, leaving only a short tuft of hair at the very top, which was smeared with a dab of butcher's floor wax. As a result, I had a little crown that lasted for weeks. I looked at my shaved head, I looked at the stubby crown, and 
Despite the lack of hair, my cranium seemed to fill the entire mirror. I was accustomed to folks making comment about the size of my head, but until I studied it in this fashion, well, I, I didn't realize it was any different from any other head. Now I wondered. Tessie walked out of the side bedroom and found me there. What are you doing? I got a big head. Well, yes, you do. Don't don't make any difference staring into a mirror. It won't change. Why don't you just wear a hat? I don't got a hat. I don't have any hat, she corrected me. You don't got a hat neither? <sighs> here, here. She drew my attention over to the family closet. Let's find you one. I jumped down from the desk. I ran around the table to where she stood. She was going through things on the top shelf of the closet, unwanted holiday gifts, that sort of stuff. Tessie moved them about, and she drew down an old brown felt fedora. Here, this is an old hat of your grandfather's. You can wear this until we buy you a new one. I took it in both hands, and I plunged my face into it. The smell was familiar. No, you wear it on your head, not on your face. I put it on my head. It was just right. I ran out the front door before she could comment. I ran around the side of the house. She walked into the kitchen and saw that I landed squarely on the floor of the back porch, where I proceeded to talk to myself in two voices. And now she regretted even giving me the hat. She returned to her chores in the kitchen and tried to drive the regret away. It was a Saturday. There were nine little projects left to do. Tessie had each of them listed on a slim piece of paper, and the papers all folded over and mixed in a glass bowl. She reached into the bowl, and she snatched one of them. It read, Do Little Bath. That was the half-bath downstairs. It was a quick cleanup. She took hold of some powder cleanser, the Windex, paper towels, a floor scrub brush, the plastic bucket. The bathroom was awkward to clean. It was hard to turn around in there. But she worked away at it, and as she was finishing, she heard me out on the back porch. And she stood there and listened. I was talking in two voices, mine and my grandfather. At supper, the subject of the horse came up. Joan, my older sister, was eager to own a horse. She rode regularly, exercising a man's horses who now offered to sell her one. Whenever this subject came up, Walt considered it quietly. While Tessie discussed out loud as to what a horse residing in the same garage as her car would mean to the smell of her car. Walt conceded that a car and a horse could not live in the same building without sharing their odor. Joan, a strong-willed, pretty girl whose behavior was for the most part approved of, took all of this in stride. And while no one ever actually came out and declared a horse would never be invited into the family, by the same token, no one agreed that a horse could come to the family. The subject ran its usual course and then drifted off, with Walt quietly considering it. This usually was the moment that Tessie shifted gears and initiated a new topic. That night, her new topic was a new hat for me. Thus, all eyes turned in my direction. I sat at the end of the table with the old brown fedora on my head. Muffin said, You've got a hat on your head. I nodded. But don't you think, Tessie observed, that a new one, a brand new cowboy hat, would suit him better? Muffin shook her head. Mm -mm, no, maybe a new head would suit him better. Tessie ignored the remark. Woolworths is a fine store for cowboy hats. Now Joan shifted in her chair and she looked at me and she suggested I just keep the one that I have. Tessie shook her head again. It's old and it smells. 
Hmm, everything smells with you. What's that supposed to mean? Joan shrugged. Horses smell, hats smell. Terry, the youngest of the three sisters, said, stinking smell and slobs smell. Don't talk that way, Terry, not at the supper table. What way, Muffin asked innocently, and Terry said, stinking smell and slobs smell. Look, no, no, that's enough. I, I don't want that kind of talk. And then everyone noticed Walt cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, to begin with, and he looked directly across the table at Joan, owning a horse is a responsibility. What horse, Tessie said. Walt looked at her. What do you mean, what horse? The one Joan's buying. Terry shouted, Joan's buying a horse? Tessie corrected her. No, she is not. Sure she is, Walt said. Tessie looked at him. She turned in her chair and she looked at him, as if suddenly he had appeared out of nowhere. She searched his face. He casually looked back unmoved. Walter, didn't you just say a car and a horse could not stay in the same building? Yep. Then where is the horse going to stay? In the garage. But my car can stay outside. Ah, I get a job, I buy a car, and I have to keep it outside. Well, if you don't want it to smell like a horse, you do. Supper was over. Joan was ecstatic. She offered to do all the dishes. She even offered to make coffee. And Muffin suggested, since Joan was getting a horse, that she do all the dishes from now on. That didn't quite happen. Later on, I was sitting up on the floor of her bedroom under my brown fedora, and Joan was talking to me. They are just so great. They're, they're not like people at all. They, they, they don't know anything about lying or taking anything from you. And all they give you is love. They're very smart. Did I tell you that? They're very smart. Oh, I did tell you that. Okay. Lots of people think horses are stupid, you know, because they're work animals. But no, no, horses are smart. You know how I know that? I'll tell you. Because, well, they know whether or not they can trust you. They can tell. They have a a sixth sense. They listen to their feelings and they act upon them. You'll see. You'll see. And I'll let you ride my horse, or I mean, I'll, I'll take you for rides on her, or I'll take you around the village and you can sit on her. Oh, she's a beautiful animal. And best of all, best of all, she really, really loves me. I can tell. She always knows when I'm coming to see her. And if I don't come for a while, she gets really sad. You'll see. You'll see. Before the horse arrived, First Street, Walt built a stable in the garage while Tessie tried to get used to the idea of parking her car in the driveway. And I, in the meantime, I and my old hat were inseparable. I even slept in it. When ants came visiting, I told them it was a fedora. I said this meant that the hat came from the island of Fedora. Apparently, my grandfather had been there, and the people had liked him, so they gave him one of their hats. I figured if I ever visited the Fedoran Islands, I would find all the people had two missing fingers on their right hand, just like my grandfather had. One morning... One morning I woke up and discovered the hat was gone, and in its place was a new red felt cowboy hat. I jumped out of bed. I ran downstairs to see if the desk had also disappeared. It was still there. So I sat on the steps and I cried. Tessie heard me. She came in from the front porch where she had been counting cars on the thruway. This was a regular pastime during breaks between the bowl of chore slips. She asked me, what was the matter? I shook my head and cried louder. She tried to hold me. I shoved her off. She tried talking to me. I cried louder still. Chucky, Chucky, that's quite enough. I stood up and I shouted a word familiar from my uncle's vocabulary. 
I hadn't any idea what it meant, but I knew it had something to do with being angry. It was a simple, one-syllable word, and its effect was dramatic. Tessie's face went pale. Her, her lips trembled. Instantly, I knew I'd gone too far. Up the stairs, I charged. I dove under the bed. I kicked old sneakers and old toys out to scramble to the furthest corner in the back, but it didn't matter. She didn't follow me. In fact, we were the only ones in the house. There had been no witnesses. She walked back out onto the porch. She sat down, checked her watch, and started counting another passing car. I came to accept the cowboy hat. I reasoned that Joan having a horse somehow caused me to have a cowboy hat. Joan's palomino was named Powder Puff, and the right side of the two-bay garage became her stall. Every evening, Joan cleaned out the manure that Powder dropped and then brushed her down. On the weekends and some weekday afternoons, she went riding. There were a few dirt roads along the river, down by the freight yard, and up through the Torn Valley. And as she promised, she took me out on the horse through the village, like some dignitary. I sat up there on the big animal, riding bareback, with her mane knotted in my sweaty hands, and my red cowboy hat like a beacon to let everyone know I was coming down the street. One bright and colorful Saturday morning, she walked Powder down to the village train station, where there was a little field of sweetgrass to munch. I sat on her back as the animal loped along slowly, Joan walking beside us with a lead in her hand. We had just reached the first of two bridges on 4th Street, when Powder caught sight of the tall stand of sweetgrass blowing gently in the breeze, and she bolted. The lead slipped clear from Joan's hand. She ran after us, but we were off. Undaunted, Powder galloped across the thruway bridge, down to the little river bridge where a small two-seater sports car skidded sideways and stopped, blocking the lane, and Powder hurled her considerable mass over the car and thundered on with me clinging for all of life. And she leapt over a small hedge and pounded into the waiting sweet grass so hard that I was shoved up onto her neck but still mounted. It was only after, after Joan pulled me off the horse, that I realized the cowboy hat had blown off. We found it on the road where a car had leveled it. She picked it up and tried to punch some shape back into it. I put it on, and now it fit perfectly. <laughs> I like that. First, this is one thing I have to say before we talk about the you know some of the main things: slips, slips in a bowl to clean yeah. the house. That's my mom did. <laughs> she must have gotten it from your mom. Or it was a Kylie thing. Uh, it had to be a Kylie thing. And we all had to pick a slip. We did you know? too. <laughs> and, you know, you're always praying you didn't get the kitchen, you know, or the dishes. You, know? yeah, you remember, right? Picking slips, Muff? Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, and yeah. then we would trade slips, you know. If, if, if I could talk to one of my younger siblings, and you're going to like the dishes. It's really easy. You just stand there, just... Go to the dishes. You were like, like Tom it. Sawyer in the whitewashing. Yeah, of the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I thought that you having a horse was the coolest thing in the world. I, I just, I couldn't. And you know, Mary, or as Terry would call her, Mary Aggie. She just, you know, she always wanted a horse. We just thought it was amazing that here's this house right next to the house, in the garage. It's this beautiful kind of blonde, as I recall it, mm-hmm. with a kind of a, a lighter mane. Lightning. Beautiful, beautiful horse. Right there, right there. And I saw you riding it on the road one time, uh-huh. the road that connects 2nd and 1st Street. And were you able to ride it around there a lot? Or? 
Yeah, I rode around Hilburn. You could do anything. I rode her d- down the sidewalk to Suffern. Often. Wow. That was along Route 59. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Often I did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. one time I was riding, and this car stopped and yelled, Is that Powder Puff? And yeah. And it turned out it was Poncho, who used to be on a television show, a West, little Western show, where he would bring horses on stage, and he had trained Powder. And okay. she had been on stage at really? one time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And boy, was she, you know, I... I thought I knew how to ride because I took English riding lessons. Well, this poor animal was broken Western. And she taught me that I didn't know how to do what I thought I did. But anyway, I had her in a Western show once, and that same guy was the announcer, and he's cheering her on. She was fabulous. She went over a fake bridge. She did all the Western stuff. Wow. Yeah, wow. and she, I could drop her. Ma- I could drop her lead to the ground, and she'd be ground tied. She would not move. Wow! Now Western that that means the kind of saddle and everything. Well, else, it's a different the- kind of saddle. It's kind of a different way of riding. You're using more of your leg, your body position. It actually, in some ways, resembles dressage, which is very fancy English. But um, the bits and everything are different in the mouth, and. The saddle is hugely different. The saddle is a, has a horn. Yeah, yeah. You, with, you know, you can yeah. tie ropes to it. You can do all kinds yeah. of stuff. And it's a more relaxed way of holding the reins. They're more loose because you're basically using your body. And where in English, you have more constant contact. Do you still do any riding now? The, well, nowadays, my horse, my last horse retired four years ago. And then I was forced to retire two years ago. Okay. So uh, up until then, yeah. And you rode the horse with no saddle on it when you were? Yeah, it was bareback because that's I was a little kid. I learned yeah. later how to ride with a saddle, but when I was a little boy, she'd put me up there, and it was it was exciting because it was for a little kid, especially oh, way up in the air, God, yeah. and everybody looks at you. And up and <laughs> did you ever get a chance to ride, or did you... I, d- I did, I did, yeah. I hated it. <laughs> See how different we are. <laughs> I was always afraid the horse was going to bite me when I wasn't on, on top of her. And when I was on top of her, I was afraid she was going to rub me off, which she tried to do oh, once. She was very good at oh, that. Oh, yeah, she, she oh, did really? me too one time. She, yeah, she yeah. deliberately went under a low branch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She would. But I was, I was hunkered down, so she couldn't scrape me off that way. And then she went into the stall and rubbed against the stall. <laughs> so she knew so what she, she crushed was doing. my leg. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. She hated me. Yeah, yeah. She could yeah, pick she, up the vibe. She could immediately tell if you couldn't ride. I, when I, well, later on, as when I was married and all and working, a friend came to the house, and I happened to be riding powder. And she said, oh, I took lessons. Can I ride her? All right. She got on her. Powder took her to the first low tree and scraped her off. Just like that. <laughs> so these horses got personality. Yeah. Uh, I know my sister Kathy still still rides a horse. I think she joint owns it with somebody else. She loves that animal, man. She. I got to be honest with you. I'm scared of them. They're just too damn big. You know, I'm pretty big, but they're way bigger than me. And you ever just think it like if a horse really had a sense of anger, what it could do to you? It can scrape you up, right? <laughs> Kick but, you into next week. Oh, my yeah, God, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They're just so powerful, so, you And know. if you abuse one, and if it's a mare, female, it'll remember. Oh. And it will get you someday. Wow. What, one time the horse bit Annie Kylie. 
Yeah, she ran past it while Powder was eating, and Powder did not tolerate being that's, disturbed. That's what everybody said, ate. was you don't go near a horse when it's eating. Well, at least yeah, one that... Well, she, had, she had right. been, towards the end, before Mr. Sherwood bought her, and then we got her. She had been in a, a stable, you know, a, a riding stable situation, and the people owned her, boarded her there, but they deserted her and moved away. So then she was fed in a group of horses, and oh, they learned to fight for their fight food. For right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so she protected her and food. So she never forgot that. That became no. part of her way of being. Yeah. Huh. Oh, wow. And he never forgot either. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that that left a mark, as they say. Yeah. The, only, the closest I ever got to Powder Puff was I would take a little bit of hay and just gingerly go up. And as soon as she moved in my direction, of course, I'd drop it on the ground, you know, and that's it. I loved but when you taught me the seeds and you put the feed on your hand and hold your fingers back and she picks it up with her lips and her lips were so soft. And, yeah. and you get to see those great big teeth. This is when I was really little. But as long as you hold your hand out flat, she's careful with you. Mm. And you, yeah. you told me that. Yeah. That was fun. That was what, fun. When did she, when did she go? When did she move? She was failing badly, and we had the what they call, not very pretty term, the killer come. Yeah, yeah. And then they take take the body. She was thirty two years old. She lived oh, a, that's long a long time. time. Yeah, yeah, that's a long life wow. for a horse. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. I remember one time she got sick, and you know there was talk between the sisters about it. You know, Joan's very upset, and Dusty was telling my mother, and then one morning she just swung her legs and stood back up again. Like somehow she got out of it. I was lucky because when I first had her, I didn't have a job or anything. And dad and mom paid the expenses. And it's not cheap. No, and now that, you know, once it became my responsibility, I realized what a sacrifice they made because... It's expensive, and yeah. paying for the blacksmith, the veterinarian. Well, I, I on do. Occasion. Re, I do remember Tessie reminding you it was a sacrifice, even while they were doing it. Well, then I didn't listen because <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So what? So Joan got a horse. Yeah. Did you guys get a? You know. No, there was no money no, left. There was no money left. That <laughs> <laughs> was the end of that. Joan right? was the first one. So. I got ballet lessons. Oh, okay. All right. And Terry got. Clarinet. Clarinet lessons. Clarinet. And Chucky I, I, got a big head. I got a big head. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change. What can I tell you? I don't know. I got a set of trains once. You know, there was a locker <laughs> oh, train. But. Do you remember being called when you were little the fuzzy doorknob? Fuzzy, fuzzy brown doorknob. Fuzzy round doorknob. Do yep. you remember that? Tessie called me that. Yeah, she that was lovely. That. <laughs> yeah, that's because they had a, when, when Eileen, when Aunt Eileen visited, they had the fold-up bed. Uh-huh. And Eileen would sleep in their bed, and they would share this fold-up bed. And it fold-up meaning it was a like old-fashioned portable bed, and it folded up into the air vertically. And when it folded up, there was a little tunnel where it was creased. And I used to climb through that tunnel because I was so little, and I liked climbing through that tunnel. And when I popped out the other end, my head popped out first, and Tessie would say, look, it's the fuzzy brown doorknob. Uh-huh. And she would run over and try to turn my head one way or the other. <laughs> the sweet games you play with your mother. <laughs> That's well, where that came from. The one other thing I wanted to ask about the horse, how did you convince, I mean, it's pretty big. It's a pretty big ask, yeah. don't you think? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'd like a horse and I'm going to take over the garage. And dad yeah. must have wanted it. He took us to visit yeah. Mr. Sherwood 
initially when he had mules and two horses. His own that he rode, he was a fabulous rider, and one that was his daughter's. And his daughter went off to college and didn't care about it anymore. So Dad kind of introduced me into the equation, and I got to ride powder. And then Mr. Sherwood was talking about he wasn't going to keep her just for me, you know, and he was going to sell her. (laughs) And uh, actually, Mom might have thought I paid for it. Dad paid for it. And then he, he was the one that initiated the barn because... And the interesting thing about the garage, it didn't take up just half. It went a little further yes. over the drain. So you couldn't yep. get the car in, yeah. even if you wanted to. But you right. could hose down the, bo- the right. floor, and right. it goes in the drain and out, out yep. the garage. Yep. Yeah, yeah when, I, when I, I loved having that horse there. When I got uh, lonely, I would sometimes go out and sit on the, the hay bale right outside the stable and talk to Powder. And she was a great, I mean, first of all, it was. It felt to me like she was listening, but secondly, she let me say anything, <laughs> even know? those words. Yeah, even even those yeah. Uncle Mal words. Wow. Yeah, she was wonderful, and uh, it, it made a difference in our lives having a horse there. I remember yeah. sleeping over, you know, and and you had that amazing train set and things like that. Yeah, I did have something. But you would go up the <laughs> stairs, and your room was to the right, and then if you went to the left, you kind of cut through the the little bathroom hallway there and then I got you got into your room I don't think you were living at the house at that point I think I was old enough that you might have yeah Joan you know. had moved out because Terry was in Joan's room by then okay from what you're describing but there you had a bathroom and there was all this wisdom on the walls oh yeah remember that all this now who wrote most of that on the walls <laughs> probably probably muffin probably yeah. yeah it was because it was it was scheduled to be renovated. Yeah. So we were allowed to, to draw on it. <laughs> right. And you had, I remember, and the crushed worm forgives Gives the, the sh- plow. Yeah, right. No, but it, it was the crushed worm forgives the shoe. Oh, which okay. actually Walt it, wrote. Yeah, he, he paraphrased the crushed worm forgives the plow, which Muffin had the said. Cut worm the cutworm forgives the plow. Yeah, right. I, had, I had put the cutworm forgives the plow. Right. And he paraphrased it. And, and then he, he, he actually crushed a worm once right. on a rainy day. No doubt. Okay. And then he came home and wrote the crushed worm forgives the shoe. So you got him to do it too. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. Cool. yeah, it was a lot of fun. It yeah. was like graffiti in your own it house. It was. Yeah. The great yeah. thing about when he would do a project in the house is he'd start it. And then a year later, he would continue. So that room <sighs> remained graffiti-worthy for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, we covered every inch of it. Yeah. So I remember your, your mom and dad very well. Your mom, to me, was just one of the funniest people I ever knew. She had the ability to take six or seven different things that were happening at the time, something somebody was saying, something that was happening in the conversation, something that Chuck said, and just turn it in quickly into something funny. Muffin, you you inherited that. You're very much the same as her in that way. While Walt seemed more introspective and thoughtful, and when he spoke, it was always worthwhile. Whatever he said was worthwhile. But he didn't speak a lot. He would listen smile behind the pipe, blue eyes, you know, I can still remember. To me, you took a little bit more after him, I think, yeah, right? Is that? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's really, uh, they were an interesting couple that way, though. Yeah. They, they yeah. didn't really match. They complemented in many ways, I guess, but 
What was that like? Mom and dad said, were they a story in themselves or? Yeah, it's deep water. What brought them together, I think. And and I think a lot of the time they didn't even really know what brought them together because they, they really didn't, as you girls know this, they didn't have common interests. Walt wanted the, the cabin in the woods or the, the trailer at Mohican yeah. Lake. Tessie wanted the ocean. And they would tolerate each other's interests by visiting those places with the other one. But mostly they didn't do that kind of stuff together. And like, you know, I went to the World's Fair with Tessie and on another occasion with Walt. It was the darndest thing. It was the same World's Fair, but he wanted to see certain things and she didn't want to see those things, and yet it's the same fair. And I think that because we were raised that way, we didn't expect them to have that commonality other than us. I mean, we, we were their commonality, I guess. What do you think? I don't know. I, I, didn't, I wasn't ever as observant as you were. Like Joe said, I was kind of in my own little world a lot, reading, and you paid attention I didn't pay as much attention as you did. Well, there's deep thinkers, and to me, Walt was that way, and, and so were you. Not so talkative, not so that kind of a thing. A Muffin, I remember, you fascinated me, I have to say it. You just did. You were funny, and you, you'd start talking about something, and I, think, I remember thinking, I think I even said to you one time, God, she knows about everything. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I felt the same way as yeah. a kid. Well, I thought I did. Yeah, but because but, you projected that, yeah. we all picked up but you on you must have listened. You well, must have, you, right? you know, when you're, when you're talking about Tessie and Walt, for some reason, I was convinced that I was Walt's favorite and Tessie's favorite. I believed that. I believed that all my life. That's, that I was the favorite of both of them, even right. though they were so different. Wow. And yeah. I think you, you believed you were Walt's favorite. I would think I was Walt's favorite. But I also, like Joe said, thought you were incredibly smart. So much That's smarter nice. than I was. That's I, nice I, to I hear. went to you all the time when there was a, a thing I couldn't understand. I was a little kid, and you would give me explanations that would work for an adult. They were filled with interesting words that I also didn't understand. And the truth. But I believed it to be true, no matter what you said. And I might even go repeat some of it elsewhere, not even knowing necessarily everything i'm saying but the words that came out of you struck me as this is this is authentic this is what must be true about this maybe that yeah. was because i was so confident in saying it yep. because i believed both my parents liked me best out of all four children i knew i was the <laughs> i was great... the, the most loved one well, i wasn't like i was the fourth i was the last one so i was nobody liked me best well, <laughs> no but I, I think we all thought that about walt i think i i did a, a a survey once, and everybody believed that they were Walt's favorite. Yeah. You, you did I'm a, not, when did even you do the Terry? survey? Isn't that you, wonderful, though? seems to me I asked you all. Maybe yeah. I just assumed you you knew you were the favorite I, I because think, you I were the boy. I don't think I got the survey sheet. But if he was able to accomplish <laughs> that, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I think of my three kids. To be able to convey to your children, all of them, that they're your favorite. That's, that's a great quality. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. yeah, that's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. that. That's that's special. We, we should get on to another yeah, episode. Yeah. <laughs> this oh. is fun. So do you want to try the earphones? Okay. They're better now. Yeah. Of course <laughs> they're better. <laughs> I made them better. She, she made them better simply <laughs> by wearing them. That's were... so funny when you, when you say that I, everybody thinks I'm so smart. I think half of smartness maybe is self-confidence. You yeah, know? and just, I didn't yeah. have that kind of confidence. Yeah, and I just always, I've always either. I've always felt like um, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to get mugged. 
in the subway, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I haven't. Well, but the moment you think you might get mugged. You start to scurry. You, you, you ha- you, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the other thing is I was just thinking about this. In my growing up with you three, I never felt that I disappointed you. I didn't feel, Joan, that you had expectations of me and that I disappointed you. I regularly felt that I disappointed you. And Terry, on the other hand, would periodically remind me that I didn't disappoint anybody in the house. (laughs) (laughs) That you're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so so it was really interesting because, you know, your personalities are so different and that I had that because you were very opinionated, so I had to watch that. And Terry would run around. She literally was kind of like the nursemaid to our anxieties very often. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to make everybody feel okay. Yep. Yep. I wish Terry were here right now because I I think it would be fun to have that other voice. Yeah. Sure. She, she, there was a dynamic about the four of us that took over. And, you know, even though, yes, you're in charge. No, nobody was really in charge. It was kind of like just a dynamic. And Terry kept her ground, you know, even though she had a different role. She she played a, a significant role. And after Terry passed and, you know, we had that, past and all i remember thinking that role is gone even though we hadn't had it together the the foursomeness that that Mm. we had which we never really articulated but i felt and then i felt it gone it's terrible losing a sibling as you know yeah Yeah. Yeah. it really is in some ways it's worse than losing a parent because it's unexpected yeah and yeah and you're with them their entire life and there's a part of you and a part of them in you, and a part of you in them. You protected them, you know, if you're an older brother. You looked out for them. They, you know, were your pal if they're <clears throat> close in age. And uh, it was absolutely unsettling and unhinging when Rosie passed. Mm-hmm. My mother and my father was like, okay, it's my job now to bury them, to take care of everything, to make sure everything's right. With Rosie, it was... Uh, Hell on earth. It was just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And it All still right. is. It's so sad to yeah. see the pictures of her her granddaughter. She yeah. would so love she named her, her. Uh, She named her granddaughter, her daughter named her granddaughter, Ever Rose. Yeah. Yeah, she would have just, oh, man. Anyway, all right. Is yeah. there a cheerful story next? Yes. I certainly <laughs> hope so. Well, some, of the, some of this Where conversation would have been great on the... Oh, he's going to play it. Will. Well, he can. He, he'll he'll take it home. Oh, It'll be there. Yeah, the part about the going, family dynamic. Yeah. Is, it's yeah. going all the time. He's got it. Oh, yep. got cool. It. As long as that's red, <laughs> as long as that red lights on. Yeah, right. See that? As long as that's red, I got it. And now for a word from our favorite sponsor, the Montgomery Book Exchange. It's your hometown used bookstore located at 61A Clinton Street in the heart of the Montgomery, New York Business District. Folks, you're going to love the book exchange. This is a place where great books survive the test of time, where you can enjoy a book read by readers a generation before you. You might even find notes in the margins giving you an insight as to what mattered most to that previous reader. That's how the Montgomery Book Exchange turns a great book into a shared experience. And the Montgomery Book Exchange is known throughout the Hudson Valley and beyond for innovations like their 20 for $20 book stacks or their intimate author readings and signing experiences. How about their member-driven book club selections and book club talks, their monthly Zoom and in-person book auctions, and Handmade Montgomery. This is a wonderful event 
featuring local artisans and hundreds of beautiful handmade crafts and keepsakes. And how about getting store credits in the form of book bucks? Bring your well-loved or gently used books in for a store credit. Now, it's closed on Mondays, but it's open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and on Sunday from 12 noon to 4 p.m. Want more information? Just go to MontgomeryBookExchange.com or call them at 845-764-1787. That's 845-764-1787. Now, there's one more thing. They even have a special location at 8 Factory Street dedicated to your young readers. They call it the Children's Chapter, and it features a reading garden where your children can discover the joy of reading in a wonderful and stimulating learning environment. Now, my kids are all 30-something now, but I have four beautiful grandchildren, Jimmy, Sienna, Stella, and JJ, and I'm bringing all four of them down to the Children's Chapter. Also at this location, you'll find Miss Claire's Music Cupboard, featuring the award-winning research-based Kinder Music Program. The Children's Chapter is open Wednesdays through Saturdays. Check the website for specific class times that match your child's age. You can contact the Children's Chapter at 845-522-9652, MontgomeryBookExchange.com, your hometown used bookstore. You're going to love this place. listening to Backport Stories with Chuck Stett. The song that you hear at the beginning and the end of the episode is Flyer's Rag, composed by Mr. Scott Lewis. Our producer is Joe Serino, and our cover photography is done by Karen Serino. We'll be back with another episode each Friday morning, so please subscribe, click the like button, share with family and friends, and join us each week for another Backport Story.